The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. And so in January of 2021, the AMA, along with CMS, basically updated their guidelines as it relates to documentation in the ambulatory setting only. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Welcome to Annals on Call. This episode features two articles from February 22nd, 2022. The first is early changes in billing and notes after evaluation and management guideline change and an associated editorial titled 2021 EM Coding Change, Making Sense of Unexpected Findings. We have two guests on this podcast. The first is Nate Apathy, who's a PhD in health policy and management and currently a postdoctoral fellow in health services research at the Perelman School of Medicine at University of Pennsylvania. He has an interest in the impact of health information technology on practice and is the first author of the first paper. Also joining us is Dr. Ryan Meyer, who's a practicing outpatient physician in Nashville and the president-elect of the American College of Physicians and a previous member of policy committees that influenced these ENM changes. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Well, uh, Ryan and, and Nate, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. This is a very interesting topic because during my time at ACP, one of the things that we argued about all the time was the ENM coding requirements, uh, especially in outpatient medicine, but hopefully also in inpatient medicine. Ron, yeah, you were on the policy committees that dealt with this, and uh, you have the advantage of being a real live outpatient doc who's practicing uh, there in, in downtown Nashville. Could you talk a little bit about how the billing requirements changed and what the thoughts were from uh, organized medicine, specifically ACP, about how that might be good for uh, our outpatient physicians? First of all, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be a part of this podcast. Yes, I was involved when I was on the Medical Practice and Quality Committee. We dealt very closely with CMS in providing some feedback as to what was important in the note, what we felt would be the most essential components of the documentation for ambulatory outpatient notes. And so in January of 2021, the AMA, along with CMS, basically updated their guidelines as it relates to documentation in the ambulatory setting only, and basically focused on removing components of the HPI and physical exam and strictly focusing on medical decision-making as the sole criteria for determining your level of the ENM code. They also provided an opportunity to code based on time, and the time actually changed compared to previous guidelines, but one 
component of the time uh, change was that you can code for time based on the total physician time that was spent on that patient during the day of the encounter versus just the time of the encounter itself as was the previous guidelines. So part of the objective for these changes in documentation was to reduce the burden, reduce note bloat, <laughs> and make notes more meaningful, getting back to what's most important, which is that cognitive clinical decision-making that physicians have to make in determining their level of care. Has that had any impact thus far, do you believe, on your own notes and your own time with patients? Yes, it has. I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful for the changes uh, that have come out. For me personally, I was sort of involved in this very early, so I saw the changes and was able to review what was potentially coming to have a head start, I think, from the most physicians out there. But my notes are so much shorter now when a patient comes in for chronic disease management, I can focus on what's really meaningful to tell the story, what's the, um, the, the purpose of the visit without getting into box checking, without counting elements of an HPI, reviewer systems, and physical exam, I can now focus my note on creating that narrative. And I know Dr. Ganser was one of your guests before on a previous podcast talking about restoring the patient narrative. Mm -hmm. I can actually do that now and just focus solely on when it comes to billing on what type of cognitive process that I had, what data elements meet criteria for a certain level of coding. So I definitely think my notes have gotten shorter for sure. I have not seen that across the board, but um, I definitely think for me, it's made a difference to focus on what's important. Now we have the ideal, someone who knew what was going on, someone who's acted on that. Uh, and now let's go to the study, Nate. This is a fascinating study, it's pretty complicated. And maybe you can uh, try to uh, make it so that we can understand what you were looking at and how you looked at it and what you found. Absolutely. Well, thanks, to, thanks for having me as well. It's uh, wonderful to be on the show. So what we wanted to look at was precisely the outcomes uh, that Ryan just described, right? We are focused on trying to understand whether or not these policy changes have decreased note bloat right, as measured by the length of a note, right, or how much, uh, you know, templated content is in a note, something like that. And then also, because it had this sort of impact on how you justify a given level of coding, right, to simplify the clinical logic underlying level three, level four, level five of the E&M codes, right, did we see what we expected to see in terms of a shift in the way that providers used those codes, right, because the one of the sort of motivating assumptions that that went into some of these changes too is that some of the higher level codes may have been appropriate for certain visits but were difficult to use and justify and so things were sort of inadvertently getting undercoded. That's kind of one of the pieces that informed uh, part of this change and so we were really interested on these two main outcomes, right? How, how were providers using E&M codes and then the documentation burden uh, that Ryan described. And so we wanted to get at this with a couple of different measures. We looked at the ENM mix that providers used over time, which is to say, what proportion of your ENM visits were billed to, for example, level three versus level four or level five? Because what we would expect to see is a shift within that set of visits, right? We wouldn't expect to see any effect on non ENM visits, for example. And then the other piece to look at burden 
was we wanted to look at the amount of time first the providers were spending in the EHR writing notes, right? Because that was a, that's a key piece we think of sort of this documentation burden, and then also how long their notes were in general. And what we were able to do is get national level data from Epic, one of the major EHR vendors, on about a quarter million, 300,000 uh, outpatient providers uh, that use Epic. And so we got their data for the four months prior to the change and then the four months after the change. And so we were able to look at these outcomes sort of within provider to see shifts at this kind of large scale. And so we really did just kind of this pre-post analysis looking at provider averages in the spring of 2021, basically the first four months of 2021 compared to the last four months of 2020. So that gives us a sense of kind of are the averages changing, but we also wanted to look and see was there an actual shift right at January 1st, right? Because we would expect some, maybe to see some sort of a discontinuity uh, with these right as the policy went into effect, which is what we do see with the ENM mix, right? So we see a shift uh, towards higher level codes. This is really exactly what was expected, right? We see this sort of shift where level three codes as a proportion of uh, ENM visits decrease and level four and level five codes increase. Level five, for example, went from 8% of ENM visits in 2020 to about 10% in 2021. So that's our first outcome that we are interested in, right? And so that shows that at least provider practices were in some way aware of this change. But the other piece we're more concerned about, right, for the purposes of our actual documentation burden reduction initiative is are we seeing changes in notes? Are we seeing changes in the amount of time that providers have to spend in the EHR writing notes? And neither of those showed any decrease um, after the policy change, which has a number of implications that I'm sure we can we can get into. But uh, that's kind of the the summary of our study. So Ryan, I know you and your committee worked real hard on trying to influence uh, CMS uh, and AMA. What's your initial thought about this paper and the fact that note bloat did not decrease in the first four months? Yeah, that's, uh, this was an interesting uh, finding to the paper, and um, I'm thankful to, for Nate for even diving into this so we can have this discussion and see what more can be done to decrease burden on physicians. But, you know, the, the initial outcome of higher levels of coding was not surprising to me, and, and I can only speak from the internist perspective. But based on medical decision-making, which is what we do, our, our, we, we practice cognitive medicine. We treat chronic conditions that are very complex. We prescribe medications for these chronic conditions. We review a lot of data and diagnostic testing. So by that, just sort of summation of what internists do, many of our encounters for our ambulatory visits meet criteria for higher levels of care. So I wasn't surprised to see a slight shift in level four and level five visits. The note bloat, I mean, the note length results of this study not being significantly different from pre and post documentation change, I think there are several factors that could be a role for why the note size did not decrease. And first of all, you have physicians who are very slow to sort of make significant changes in documentation because for 25 years we've had the same documentation practices. So it's very difficult to just switch on a dime just as of January 1st, 2021, and make that happen differently. 
Secondly, you have physicians who are used to their own templates that they've sort of developed over time in their flow patterns. And once again, it takes time for physicians to make that change. I'm not quite sure you would see that in first four months. Add on to the fact that you look at independent practice physicians and small practices in rural United States that may have not had the educational resources about these changes and had to take time to just go out and find the documentation changes on their own versus larger healthcare systems that can hold seminars and webinars to educate their staff and physicians prior to these changes so they can get up and running a lot faster. And then finally, I think you just have to acknowledge that uh, physicians have been trained to document for medical legal purposes. And I grew up in the era where they said, you know, if you didn't document it, you didn't do it. So that has been ingrained in me in all of my you know, career as a mid-career physician. So it's hard sometimes to think about documenting less when you have you know, that mindset in place. So it may not have changed the length of the notes. I actually have a question. You may know the answer, Nate. All the data is from Epic. And there are good things and bad things about any of the uh, computer systems that we use for notes. Has there been a change in how Epic puts together if you want to do an ENM code? So one thing that might influence people is they're used to pulling down checkboxes. And I've never used Epic, so I'm, I'm guessing all this stuff. But a lot of times when CMS changes something, it might take a while for the computer companies to change the format of how you document things, because uh, unless you're at the VA with uh, CPRS, you know, I just do free floating, write my notes the way I want to, but a lot of these things are structured. Was that anything that you looked at, Nate? So we weren't able to see kind of Epic's own internal efforts among their client base to roll out, for example, what Epic calls a smart phrase, which is something like a template and other people might know of them as dot phrases if you are an Epic user from before they rebranded it. But I don't know of efforts at Epic Central to roll out kind of a new ENM template, but that's actually, I think, one kind of key policy takeaway from this is that vendors and physician practice and society, sorry, physician uh, professional societies have a role to play in kind of building out templates to make this easier to adopt. And that's not something that needs to fall on individual physician practices because like Ryan said, right, not all physician practices are going to be resourced in the same way to be able to prepare for these types of things. Are there plans to look at this again in the future and see if, it, if it's just that we physicians are such slow adopters, we have to get over all those things that Ryan mentioned and, and he really gave us a great list of the problems of trying to get physicians to change what they do. We're, we're always very reluctant to change. Yeah. And that's been one of the major takeaways of our study is, you know, far from being sort of a definitive answer to this, right? We're really limited in only looking at these first four months, right? And what we've heard from, you know, we've shared these providers, with, or these results with a number of provider groups. And one of the consistent pieces of feedback we hear is, yeah, we've been working on this change all throughout the last six months, right? And this is a conversation we're having in August of 2021. And, you know, we've been working on this for six months and we're about to roll out our new templates. So this isn't in your data. You've definitely got to come back and look at this later on and see how these, uh, these things are changing. Because we have heard this, a very similar set of feedback. 
And what we have looked at is we've gone into the data and actually sort of statistically identified providers that did actually change their note length after this, right? Because we only are reporting kind of an average effect across all providers, right? And, you know, Ryan, if, if you're an Epic user, you're in that data probably, and, and your, your trend line looks different than the average probably. And we were able to find those providers that kind of deviated from that average and look at exactly how they went about doing that. And as you would expect, it's a lot of changes to reduce the amount of note content that's coming from templated text sources and copy and paste. Those are the main contributors that are allowing physicians to actually reduce uh, their note length. It would be really fascinating and probably impossible to do to look at different computer systems and if, see if some computer systems were more adaptable than other computer systems. Like I said, I've never used Epic, but I've heard very, very many bad things about them from people who have used it in terms of inflexibility. So, Ryan, both from your own personal uh, standpoint and as you are now uh, the president-elect and very soon will be the president of ACP, what do you think the American College of Physicians should be doing to help internists as well as similar organizations for other types of physicians? And what do you want to do with, with uh, your colleagues? How are we going to take advantage of these very nice things that we've influenced and changes that we've made that are very logical? Yeah, very good question. And I think I can only speak for ACP and what we are doing and what we plan to do going forward. I would say ACP has been very proactive in creating resources, you know, through our practice management to the department of the college in providing resources about these documentation changes in all formats from articles and, you know, voiceover PowerPoints and, and just sort of short videos in order to really get the education out there to our members, because this is a benefit and it is one way that we can reduce note bloat because note bloat is not only for the note writer, but it's also for the note reader, right? I don't, I don't like getting a note that's 10 pages. That's note bloat. Even though I didn't have any involvement in creating the note, it is a administrative burden in that regard. ACP has made some recommendations about just health IT in general. Um, in our policy paper, Healthcare Delivery and Payment System Reform, that was published in January of 2020 as part of our new vision statement. But there is a specific cutout in that section making recommendations for health IT to be a valuable resource, not just for billing, but for the physician-patient relationship and how some restructuring needs to take place in that regard. And then clearly ACP was a pioneer in creating a a policy paper on reducing administrative burden in 2017, and subsequently were followed by CMS, creating a very similar process to that and, and taking on this large concept that we need to reduce burden across physicians. And that's inside and outside EMR, talking about things such as you know prior authorizations, things of uh, durable medical equipment, form and documentation that goes with the burden of you know, the everyday um, ambulatory practice. So ACP is committed. We have policy on reducing burden in general. And uh, when we have policy, we can speak very loudly to the, to the healthcare stakeholders to really try to make an impact for our members. So Nate, as a, as a researcher, what are the 2022 questions? Uh, we've read your beautiful paper on the 2021 question. What are you thinking about in 2022 and 2023? 
Ryan, I think, kind of mentioned this during his initial reaction to the papers that there's a lot of questions here about kind of the quality of the note and how the substance of a note can change, but the overall length can stay the same or be a little bit shorter, but not in any type of dramatic way. But if you change kind of what's in that note and you change the meaning of the information there that is better, that is, and that note is better able to support clinical cognition, it's better able to facilitate a conversation between the patient and the provider, it's better able to like, you know, facilitate goal setting. Those are really, really important measures of improved care quality that we can't observe in a very sort of a course measure like overall documentation length. So a lot of my work focuses on how do we build out more measures that are capturing salient pieces of burden for physicians that we can then go try to reduce, right? In healthcare, we have a long history of building quality measures, right, for the, for the problems that we want to try to solve. We have to first figure out how do we want to measure this problem. And physician burden and documentation burden in particular is really at the, the early stages of trying to figure out what are the best measures that we can get at. How well does time proxy this? We don't know quite yet. You know, how do we get at measures of no quality? How do we understand differences in burden across specialties, across venues of care, across different types of patients? You know, something that's burdensome for a provider, for a PCP at an annual check-in may not be as burdensome for a cardiologist during a pre-op visit, right? These are going to be different ways we have to flex these measures of burden to understand where we're at currently to then try to implement policy to reduce them. Seems to me like what we have is some very nice work from uh, organized medicine along with CMS to make changes that, that potentially are going to help physicians spend less time in the computer, more time with patients, and more time with their family. I mean, that's the goal. The, those three things are all goals. And what I hear Ryan saying is that, uh, and Ryan and I are both, both, both have been very active in American College Physicians and we're very biased, but we're biased because they're doing the hard work and have been doing the hard work on this for years and years before we finally got this breakthrough. And so we should not be demoralized by the study. Just uh, the, I think the most important thing is to understand that we have work to do, but at least we have a ball field we can play on now. So Nate, your final thoughts, and then Ryan, your final thoughts. Uh, and, and I appreciate so much the two of you having this conversation. And I love having the idea of trying to understand the research and understand what's really happening on the ground and in uh, the policy committees of the, of the American College of Physicians. So Nate. Yeah, well, I 100% agree that there's no reason to be particularly demoralized by any, certainly any one study, but in particular, you know, this, this sort of early, early stage look at this. I think that it really gives us some good insight into what are some of the barriers that are influencing providers' ability to modify their documentation practices to be less burdensome. And there are a lot of the things that Ryan already talked about, right, the sort of regulatory and sort of medical legal pressures that are on physician documentation. We now have some other places to look where we can make policy changes and communicate to physician organizations and to physician practices 
about what the new requirements are and how to sort of fulfill them by reducing the amount of, you know, note bloat or documentation that you have to do to better facilitate those changes. I think there's a big role for both vendors and professional societies to play in communicating that out to make it as easy as possible to make the transition. So I think far from being anything, you know, definitive or particularly demoralizing, this is definitely a a place to start from. It's a call for action uh, for us to continue to take advantage of leaders like Ryan, who has done this and he and his colleagues are working on making sure that other physicians understand that. Ryan, I'd love to hear your final thoughts for the audience. Sure. I guess my final thoughts would be to really embrace these changes. Um, We've worked hard to try, and not just ACP, but I mean, ACP has worked hard for its members to create an opportunity to to take burden away from EMR. We all know that EMR is a a large component of physician burnout and a large component of physician dissatisfaction, just the amount of time you have to spend in EMR, you know, before, during, and after clinic time. One thing also that I'll point out about the study is that it didn't show any reduction in EMR time, but there are so many other factors that increase EMR time, such as the patient portal now, where patients are using that much more during the pandemic than they did pre-pandemic and a lot of studies to, to really support that. So even though the note actually may be uh, less burdensome, EMR in itself has become more burdensome for other reasons, which may have sort of you know, shown the results of not decreasing time spent in EMR. So we definitely have some work to do, but the things that are at play, which is um, decreasing the amount of note bloat and devalued work into a note and focusing on the medical decision-making, which is the essential component and shows that cognitive care that you're providing to that patient about what level of code you, you should bill for, that work has already been done. So I do encourage all our readers to embrace it. If you're an ACP member, I say go on our website under practice management, where you can see a variety of resources if you had not had the uh, proper training or education or you need a refresher. Well, thank both of you for uh, shedding a lot of light into this issue. Hopefully some of our listeners will use this as a way to get even more engaged, both for themselves and their colleagues, to take advantage of the, the policy changes. Nate, thanks for highlighting what's going on. And Ryan, thank you for all your work in developing policy and in speaking out to uh, the members of the American College of Physicians. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having us. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This very interesting discussion highlights several things about the dramatic uh, changes in E&M coding for ambulatory care that went into place January 1st, uh, 2021. The first is, like everything else in medicine, we have relatively slow adoption. And I think that this article documents well that we've not all adopted our practices to shorter notes and less time on the computer. Part of this is a vendor problem, and as was nicely discussed, uh, we need to do some more work with vendors to change the way they present how we put our data into uh, systems. Finally, It's a call to those of you listening who have not yet changed how you write in your notes to work on that, to improve your uh, work-life balance, and to have better, more readable notes for your patients. 
Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participants' statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.